lots of things in life we don't expect. That's the way it is. It happens in Jonah chapter 3. Here we go, Jonah chapter 3. We're in the book of Jonah. We know the story. We know that God tells him to go to Nineveh and he runs away. We know that he gets in a ship and there's a bad storm and the sailors throw him overboard and then we know a big fish, a whale, comes and swallows Jonah. That's the part of the story we know the best. In chapter 2, Jonah's in the whale and he prays this prayer. It's, It's a great prayer. I don't think he actually composed it in the fish. I think he prayed a lot while he was in the fish, and after he got out, he actually wrote the prayer down. I I don't see him writing in the fish. (laughs) I I don't see that happening. I think it was afterwards that he wrote it down. After he talks to God, says, hey, I've been wrong. The fish vomits him out, which is good. It's good that that happened. We talked about that last week. There's only two ways out of a whale. It's good to be vomited. And then we get to chapter 3. And now, I think this is very unexpected. Some of us have read the Bible a lot, and so we, we don't read it like we're seeing it for the first time. But here we go. The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Interesting. Didn't see that coming. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it a message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. I could see that coming after the first go. Thinks I don't want round two in the fish. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. The inner city, the inner city of Nineveh was walled. It was about eight miles around. But Nineveh itself, kind of like Grand Rapids with all the suburbs, was about 60 miles across. Big city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city and he proclaimed, God has a wonderful plan for your life. (laughs) See, that'd be a good message. Jesus came to set you free. That'd be a good message. But but that's not the message. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And the Ninevites, these were bad people. We talked about this in week number one. I mean really bad people. I think Jonah thought maybe he'd die up there. But the Ninevites believed God and they declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least from the king to the lowest servant put on sackcloth and when the news reached the king of Nineveh he rose up from his throne took off his royal robes covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles do not let any man or beast herd or field taste anything do not let them eat or drink now this is a true fast but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth Put it on your dog, and your cat, and your parakeet. I think maybe cows and, you know. 
Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up, turn from their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Interesting. Unexpected. Let's see what we can learn. Here we go. In your notes. Number one, we ought to be thankful for the God of second chances. It's very clear. You can't miss it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And we ought to be thankful for the God of second chances. Say, so what do you mean, a God of second chances? I mean that he talks to us more than one time too. In fact, he's, he's doing it this morning. He's already done it during the song time. Were you listening? He talks. He talks to us more than once about the same thing. Like this. There are people in this room right now, you've never yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, even though God has spoken to you. going to speak to you again this morning. I've been praying he would. There's people that sit in this room week after week, year after year, and God speaks to you. He tries to draw you to himself. He comes back over and over. There's a teen in this room this morning and you're on the wrong track. You're doing things you ought not do and God's convicting you time and time again. He hasn't yet, perhaps, hit you with the two-by-four that he carries. He's just talked to you over and over about that thing you're doing or how you're talking to your parents. And he's convicting you over and over. There's somebody in this room this morning and you're not close to God like you used to be. You used to be close to God. You loved him. You liked to talk to him. You got into his word and you read it and he spoke to you. You liked to come to church and worship. You wanted to serve. But now it's not like that anymore. And God's been tugging at you. Tugging. He's doing it right now. He's tugging again, saying, it doesn't have to be like this. Why don't you... Turn around. That's what I mean that God gives us a second chance. He's the God of second chances. He sets us free, and then sometimes we get bound up again, and He comes to set us free again, and we get bound up again, and He comes to set us free again. He's the God of second chances, and all of us ought to be thankful. Thankful. 
Here we go. Number one, we ought to be thankful that when we don't listen, God doesn't quit speaking. This is what it means that we have a God of second chances. Jonah quit listening, but God didn't quit speaking. He actually talked to Jonah all the time. Not not just here in chapter 3 as we start the chapter. He was talking to Jonah in the storm, and he was talking to Jonah in the fish. He was talking to Jonah over and over. When we quit listening, God doesn't quit speaking, and we should be thankful. Number two, when we fail, when we fail God, God doesn't fail us. He came to Jonah a second time, and he said, Jonah, I still want to use you. I said, well, Pastor Manil, I've, yes, I used to be a teacher in Sunday school, but I've gotten away from God. God still wants to use you there. He still wants to use you. He came to Jonah a second time, and, and Jonah said, I, I don't, you know I've, I'm a failure. And God says, no, I'm going to use you. And he does. We ought to be thankful. Number three, when we disobey, God doesn't dump us. He doesn't say, that's it. That's it. You did that again. You got angry at your kids again? That's it. No more. I'm not talking to you anymore. It's not like that with God. Jonah knew this. We're going to talk about this next week, but if you look to chapter 4, just look in chapter 4. It says in verse 2, he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was quick to flee Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious God and compassionate God, slow to anger, very, very patient, more patient than anyone in this room, more patient than any mother in this room. Mothers are exceedingly patient, many of them. God's more patient than anyone Jonah says, I know this. I know this is who you are. You're a compassionate God, slow to anger. You abound in love. Yes, he does. His patience, he still says to Job, I still want you. So maybe this morning, you're in this room and you're running low on hope. You're running low on hope. I want to say to you, God loves you. God isn't finished with you. Maybe you're off track. You could be 15 and off track or 50 and off track. Maybe you're off track, but God, he loves you. Maybe your marriage isn't what you want it to be, but God wants to change that. Say, Pastor McNeil, I've come to God over and over. He still wants to change it. He's the God of second chances. We should be thankful for that. Number two, second thing we should learn. When we get a second chance, we got to get it right. This, this is kind of one of the best things that happens in this book. When Jonah gets a second chance, he gets it right. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. That's what he said to him the first time back in chapter 1. But this time, Jonah obeyed. Yeah, when we get a second chance, we got to get it right. So I want to say this. Maybe your first marriage didn't go well. Maybe it didn't. This applies to a lot of people in this room, and I know it. Maybe your first marriage did not go well. Maybe you were harsh and critical. Maybe you were difficult. 
but this second marriage, get that one right. Get it right. Maybe there was this period in your home when you, you didn't really raise your kids as you should have, and maybe you know it. And God's been talking to you that you have to change. You see that what you're doing is not right. You're not putting in the effort that you should. But now he's giving you another chance. And when he gives you a second chance, you have to get it right. Maybe your financial situation is a mess, but God's giving you a second chance. And now you have to get it right. God gives us second chances. Maybe in that last job, you didn't, you didn't live for God. You didn't speak up. Maybe you were fearful and shy. But now you have a new job and a new chance. All the young people here, last year's last year, but God's giving you another chance this year when you go to school, just in the coming week, and you can make it different. Maybe last year wasn't good. Maybe you didn't really live for God. But God's giving you another chance. He's the God of second chances. And when we get a second chance, we've got to get it right. I was not a good kid in middle school. I was just not a good kid. I don't talk about middle school much. I don't really understand middle schoolers. If you have one, you have my pity. I, I don't get it, okay? I, but I was not a good kid in middle school. I was the last thing from a good kid that there could be. I was a Christian, but I didn't live like a Christian at all. I, I wanted to fit in desperately. Anybody know what I mean? I don't know about you, but when I was in middle school, I was desperate to fit in, and I didn't. For all kinds of reasons, I didn't. Be, being a great student in middle school is not really a good thing. That doesn't actually win you lots of friends in middle school, and I, I was a good student. I remember one day they, they, they gave a quiz in class, and surprise quiz, sprung it on us, and I got 100, and everybody else got an E. And the teacher said up front, I would just throw this out, but one person got 100. Bob. I was a, I was a very popular person in that class. <laughs> In truth, I didn't know the subject any better than they did. I walked into class that day, and there were about 15 words written on the board. And I thought, I wonder what those 15 words are for. So I just took my book, and I looked them up once. Just looked them up. I just looked up the, the 15 words. And it didn't take me very long, and I read the definition one time. But God's given me a kind of mind where I can remember stuff like that. And then she said, write the definition for all those words. So I just wrote them down. I just read them. I couldn't have remembered them, you know, 20 minutes later. But I got 100, they got an E, and they didn't like me. But you know what happened? Between 8th grade and ninth grade, my parents moved. And no joke, they moved a long ways, and I was in a different school system. When I went to ninth grade, I was in a different school system, and I knew God was giving me a chance to be a different person, and I took it. I often thought that's why God moved them. To give me a chance to make a start over. 
when, when we get that second chance, we got to get it right. Here we go. Number one, this means we got to make sure we obey the message. Whatever God's telling us, whatever God's telling you this morning, we've got to do it. Whatever he says, we have to do it. Number two, we've got to take the first step. We've got to get started. Take the first step. Now Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and now Nineveh was a very important city, and on the first day, Jonah started into the city. He just took the first step. He got started into the city. Actually, he, he took the first step the day he heard the message when, when, he, when he said, I'm going to obey, when God said, go to Nineveh. And he got out his, his iPhone, and he got out Google Maps, and he put in Nineveh, and it said 500 miles that way, and it, down at the bottom, estimated time, 30 days by camel. So he went and rented a camel. He only got about an hour on his journey when he realized the air conditioning didn't work. <laughs> but he decided he was going on anyway. We've got to take that first step. You say, like what? Apologize. Maybe that's the first step. Maybe it's stay off the net. Maybe it's stop going to the bar and casino. Maybe it's pay off the, the first credit card. Get that first credit card paid off. Maybe that's the, the first step. Maybe it's to start tithing, or maybe it's to find some new friends. Maybe that's the first step this year, young people, to find a new group of friends. Maybe it's to do the opposite of whatever you've been doing. Maybe you've been worrying, and the first step is to pray, and maybe we've been complaining, and the first step is to be thankful. Take a first step. Number three, don't presume on the grace of God. Don't assume because God gives us second chances that we can just play this game. Well, I'll just do it and then confess it, and God will always forgive it. God doesn't like games like that. He doesn't like those games. Number three, third thing we learn in this story is that the work of God doesn't depend on us. The work of God does not depend on us. He says to Jonah, go up and preach this message. It was eight words long in the English Bible, five in the Hebrew. It was short, concise, direct, and offensive. But the Ninevites, they believed God. And this, this, this teaches us again that the work of God doesn't depend on us. That Sunday school class doesn't depend on you. That witnessing, that person you want to witness to, it doesn't depend on how well you present it. That's not what this is. Here we go, number one. It's not the man or the message. It wasn't Jonah. He wasn't a great stud. He's not an Abraham or a David. It's not the man or the message. People responded because God worked in their life. That's how it always works with repentance. Paul wrote, we must be gent they must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance. Underline that. God will grant them repentance. Whenever anybody makes a move toward God, it's because God grants them repentance, because God did this. It wasn't Jonah, and it wasn't his message. It was all God. That's how it is every time. Say, Pastor Manuel, don't you ever get discouraged? I, I don't get discouraged very often in the church. You say, well, you preach and... And a lot of times people yawn. Now, I'm, I'm thinking of something last week. Anyway, people aren't into it. You say, don't, don't you get discouraged? It's my job to preach. It's God's job to take the message and apply it in your hearts. That's God's job. 
That's God's job. It's not the man nor the message. It's all about God. Number two, we ought to learn that God can change anyone. If the Ninevites can change, anyone can change. You don't know anyone worse than the Ninevites. I'll say again, study the Assyrians. Study the Assyrians and see how bad they were. You say, well, how about the terrorists of today? They're not as evil as these guys. God can change anyone. Jonah gave this simple little message and God used it to change their life. I'm going to remember, put it right in your notes. Many of us experienced, we experienced God's transforming power in, at us. We, we experienced it in our own lives. And now we have to trust that that same, we have to trust that God's transforming power is at work in others. We have to trust this. We've experienced God's transforming power at work in our lives, and now we have to trust that that same transforming power is at work in other people's lives. Have you experienced it in your life? That same power is at work in your grandchildren's lives. That same power is at work in your children's lives. That same power is at work in your neighbor's lives. We have to believe that. We've seen it in our own lives. We have to trust that it's at work in other people's lives. That same power that changed your life, it can change your fourth graders' lives. So, so what do we do? Well, number three, we pray and talk to others. We, that is, we just let God use us. We pray because God can change anybody. If God can change the Ninevites, he can change anybody. You say, well, I'm not perfect. Neither was Jonah. Well, I'm not that excited about doing this. Either was Jonah. Well, I'm not very positive. Either was Jonah. But God used him when Jonah obeyed, and he'll use us too. But the main lesson in chapter 3, the main lesson is my number 4. The, the main point of chapter 3 is how we get back to God. The Ninevites were far from God, and so was Jonah. How, how do we get back to God? Here we go. Number four. The path back to God begins with a turn. I want you to notice this. It begins with a turn. I want you to notice in, in verse number eight. In verse number eight, he says, Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up. The word actually is turn. Let them turn from their evil ways and their violence. He's very specific because they were evil and they were violent. Who knows? God may yet relent and have compassion and turn from his fierce anger that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they, what's the word? Turned. How they turned from their evil ways. The path back to God begins with a turn. So I ought to make assumption this morning. I want to make assumption that not everyone in this room is very close to God right now. And some of us that are close to God today, we won't be close to God in a couple days. This is how life works. It's not like this. We all know this. The, the path of Christianity is not like this. It's more like this, isn't it? Doesn't your Christian life go more like that? Well, when, when we find we're in those dips and we're not close to God like we have been, the answer is to turn. We're going this way. Which way? Away from God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his, to his own way. This is what happens. 
We start doing what we want to do instead of what God says to do. And when we're doing that, when we're doing that, we have to turn. We have to turn. Now, here we go in your notes. Number one, that's true for Jonah. It's true for the Ninevites. And it's true for us. It's true for Jonah. He makes his turn in chapter 2. It's true for the Ninevites. They make their turn in chapter 3. What's it include? Number two, this includes prayer and repentance. I'm trying to make it as clear as I can. When you want to make this turn, how does it happen? It happens in prayer and repentance. So repentance... I think we know what prayer is. We've got to talk to God. But what do I mean by repentance? Repentance, number one there, is to change our attitude. Repentance is a change of attitude. You say change our attitude toward what? Well, to God and sin. We've got to change our attitude to what's keeping us away. Say, like, how, how would that actually work out? Here we go. Number one, we'd, we'd have this new attitude that I was wrong. Usually we don't turn until we admit we're wrong. If you think it's okay to watch porn, you're not turning. You won't turn. If you think it's okay to be angry and critical with your spouse or your kids, well, you won't turn. But if this morning, sitting here, you say, I'm wrong. I was wrong. What we did, it was wrong. I did this, and it was wrong. I'm doing this and it's wrong. Maybe God's fingering it in your life right now. You're angry, and you know you're angry. And God's fingering it in life right now. You're impatient, and you know you're impatient. And God's fingering it in your mind right now. God's putting his finger right on it. He wants you to say, I'm wrong. Number two. We have to realize, a part of this attitude change is to realize that sin's hurting me. That sin is not good for me. This choice I'm making, this being selfish, it's not good for me. This being irritable, impatient, it's not good for me. This watching porn, it's not good for me. This going to the casino, it's not good for me. This being proud, it's not good for me. Sin is hurting me. Remember chapter 2, verse 8? In chapter 2, verse 8, Jonah said, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. We were just singing this song, I am redeemed. The trio, beautiful this morning, wasn't the trio beautiful? It's about how grace is so amazing. Your grace is so amazing. But we forfeit it. We forfeit it if we choose to sin. Number three, we have to have this attitude that sin is displeasing to God. This is hurt, not only hurting me, it's hurting God. We have to choose now to make it our goal to please Him. Then number two, we have to change our actions. This is a part of repentance. Being sorry isn't enough. Parents in this room know this. Your kids saying they're sorry, that doesn't, that doesn't really do it. You know that repentance requires action. Write it in. Repentance requires actions. You can't have repentance without actions. You say, well, I said I'm sorry. That is not enough. That is not enough. Apostle Paul said, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance with their actions. We're watching porn. We have to stop. It's an action. 
We haven't been kind. We have to start. We've been worrying and fretting. We have to stop. We haven't been praying. We have to start. Been drinking and gambling. We have to stop. Haven't been loving or forgiving. We have to start. We don't just confess sins and failures. We have to take the first step. There's always a first step. There's something we have to start or something we have to stop every time. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's always a first step. Always. Always. Every time. And those steps, they're made up with prayer and repentance. And repentance is a change of attitude and a change of action. So today... If we're off, let's tell God and take the first step. Now I've got a couple clean up a couple things before I end this chapter. Verse 9. The king of Nineveh says, Who knows? God may yet relent. Some of you have, may have a Bible that says repent. Like God changes. Somehow God changes. Like God set Jonah in there and he said 40 days in Nineveh will be destroyed. But did it get destroyed? Did God change his mind? No, he didn't. So I, I want to say this before we end lest somebody gets confused here. Here we go, number five. Remember, God never changes. God does not change, ever. Malachi 3.6 I, the Lord, do not change. God does not change. This is really important. Because Allah does. Say what? Come on, we know who Allah is, right? That's the name that the Muslims call their God, Allah. One of the great differences between Allah and Yahweh, between Allah and the God of the Bible, is that Allah changes and God does not. It's a major difference. When somebody says to you, Allah and Jehovah... They're the same. Not at all. One of the major differences is God does not change. If he's forgiving today, he'll be forgiving tomorrow. That's right. If he's patient today, he'll be patient tomorrow. If he says something's a sin today, it will be a a sin tomorrow. God does not change. So what happens in this passage? Here's what happens. Write it right into your notes. We change And then God responds consistently. We change. The Ninevites changed. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. God doesn't change his mind. He hates sin and he always hates sin. He judges sin. If the Ninevites would have kept going, they would have got the judgment of God. But they changed. And God loves obedience. He blesses obedience always, always. But if you want to read this specifically, I'll just give you a reference, and you can look it up sometime. Jeremiah 18, 7 to 10. Read it. God says this absolutely clearly. If you're going this way and I say I'll judge you, if you'll turn around, I'll turn from my judgment and I'll bless you instead. But if you're going this way and I say I bless you and you turn to do sin, I will judge you. God is consistent 
consistently the same. Now, last thing. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion. The book of Jonah is mostly about God. The fish is only mentioned four times. God's mentioned 40 times, 38 to be exact. It's about what kind of God we have. And the God we have is a God of compassion. You say, that doesn't fit in my notes. We have a big-hearted God. This is good. God loves us, and you know what? He wants to love us. It's more than just that he loves us. He loves us, and he wants to love us. God loves Sam and Kathy Riggleman, and he wants to love them. God loves Rob and Louise Troughton, and he wants to love them. God loves you, and he wants to love you. He wants to bless us. He wants to forgive us. He wants to change us. God didn't want to smack Jonah and have him thrown overboard and end up in the fish. God wasn't looking for another story for the book. Ooh, ooh. I'll make him disobey so I can slap him and throw him in a fish. It'll be a great story for the book. That's not it. That's not how God is. God is in our corner. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's in your corner. He's in your corner today. He wants to love you. He wants to bless you. Remember Jonah 2.8. When we cling to the wrong things, we forfeit the grace that God wants to give us. How about in your devotions this week? All of you that have your devotions, and many of you do, how about you have devotions one day just on Jonah 2.8? When we cling to the wrong path, we forfeit the grace that God wants to give us because he wants to give us grace. God is in our corner. We have a big-hearted God, not a mean God. We have a big-hearted God, and he's in our corner, and he loves us, and he wants to pour grace into our lives if we will let him. Let's stand together. Father, I pray this week that you'll help some people in this room to take that first step back on the right track. Father, I pray for that teen that's doing that thing he shouldn't do. I, I pray that he'll take that first step. Father, I pray for that, that young couple that's struggling. I'll pray that they'll take that first step. And Father, for all of us who are fighting sin, I pray that we'll take that first step back towards you. I, I ask you to help us, and I thank you that you're in our corner. In Jesus' name, amen.